Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. This is a time for celebrating extraordinary women who have made their mark in history, strengthen our nation. And like Jill, the first lady, the first full-time lady, the first lady who works full-time, <laughs> in addition to being the first lady, as a professor. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu Does America. <laughs> StuDoesMerch.com. Use the promo code Stu10 to save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. I mean, I've named a show Stu Does Polar Bears. If I don't deserve your like... I don't know what, what, what possibly could do that. Ryan Bomberger is going to be here to mock the pile of crap that is Hulu's 1619 project. I have another edition of one of our favorite segments tonight, Biden's newest low. But we start by doing polar bears. How proud must my mommy be tonight? Um, let me go through this because this is a, it's an amazing thing. We've always heard about polar bears being the symbol of global warming. They're all going to die. And this sort of started, I guess, back in the mid-2000s with Al Gore and An Inconvenient Truth. There is a faster buildup of heat here at the North Pole in the Arctic Ocean and the Arctic generally than anywhere else on the planet. That's not good for creatures like polar bears who depend on the ice. A new scientific study shows that for the first time they're finding polar bears that have actually drowned, swimming long distances, up to 60 miles to find the ice. No better way to prove a scientific point than a cartoon that you've come up with on your own. So what's the truth here? Uh, you know, this has been a controversial claim for a very long time, and it's been scary for a very, very long time. Back in September 2013, we get this uh, headline. Polar bear population decline, a wake-up call for climate change action. And that is, uh, what was that, WWF, not the Wrestling Foundation, but instead the Wildlife Foundation. Um, how about uh, National Geographic? Polar bears really are starving because of global warming. Study shows new science sheds more light on recent controversy over how much the large carnivores are being impacted by melted sea ice. Then you've got uh, a New York Times. This is in 2020. Global warming is driving polar bears towards extinction, researchers say. By centuries end, polar bears could, uh, worldwide could become nearly extinct as a result of shrinking sea ice in the Arctic if climate change continues unabated, scientists said. July 2020, NBC News. Polar bears could disappear by 2100 due to melting ice, climate change study says. A new study suggests that the Arctic species is at risk of being starved into extinction by the end of the century. ABC News. Polar bears are inbreeding. <laughs> Just, I mean, again, that's more of a polar bear thing. I mean, if you want to hug up with your brother or your cousin, that's kind of up to you. You know, I mean, I'm not going to we should not criticize these polar bears for their sexual. Um, I was going to say preference, but that's outdated orientation. Are we still in the orientation world or has that become racist in some way? We'll, we'll investigate that later. NBC News says polar bears are inbreeding due to melting sea ice, posing risk to survival of the species. Scientists say researchers found up to 10 percent less genetic diversity 
in the last 20 years. You don't want that. You don't want less genetic diversity. November 2021, this is AP News. Arctic sea ice is disappearing and it's harming polar bears. June of last year, Euro News. Polar bears lose up to two kilograms per day as climate crisis bites. Are they on Wegovi or Ozempic or something? Is that what's going on with these polar bears? We're going to investigate that as well. Now, one of the very inconvenient facts about an inconvenient truth popped up right after that initial Al Gore movie came up, which was, hey, you know how you're saying climate change is making polar bears go extinct? We're seeing a lot more of them. There are more polar bears than there were before. So what, is it, what do you mean they're going extinct? I mean, maybe you think they're going to go extinct in the future. You can try to make that point. But you keep saying it's happening already. This is all going on. You keep saying we're finding drowning polar bears all over the place. Why are their numbers increasing? It's kind of a good question, right? Well, new data has come out on this. Bjorn Lomborg posted about this on his Facebook page and just said, hey, here are the uh, polar bear numbers. Pretty uh, innocuous post. This is the latest research on polar bears. I know people care about it. So he posted it up there. And then the fact checkers came to check his facts. AFP called it uh, misleading. Yes, they gave him a misleading post. Others called him basically a flat out liar. Uh, that's kind of the thing that happens to you when you make a point that is inconvenient with the narrative. We all know global warming is supposed to kill all the polar bears. Full stop. Don't say anything else. Don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the scientists. Don't look at the experts. Don't do any of that. Just say what you're supposed to say. Now, Lomborg saw this, uh, this message pop up that his claim was misleading, and he got a little upset about it, wrote an op-ed in uh, the Wall Street Journal. Partisan fact-checkers spread climate change misinformation, also accompanied with a beautiful ad for The Loft. If you need a nice pink dress, you can get that right there through the Wall Street Journal site. Uh, and he posted the, the numbers of polar bears. I mean, again, we're, he's not like making some big statement. He's not guessing. He's just going to the experts and saying, hey, let me see the studies. How does this work? How many polar bears do we have? And here's the chart. You see, back in the 1960s is when this measure began. Had about 12,000 polar bears, rose up uh, now to about, I don't know, 28,000 polar bears. I mean, more than doubled. We're talking about not a small increase, but a large increase. But even though, and this wasn't like a right-wing think tank that decided to go up and count polar bears. These are all of the experts. It didn't matter, though. The fact check remains. A graph circulating on social media purports to show the polar bear population is growing in spite of global warming. This is misleading. Experts say the chart uses outdated, unreliable data and that human-driven climate change poses a threat to polar bears. Huh. Outdated, unreliable data. How do they come to that conclusion? Well, Bjorn Lomborg, he seemed like he was a bit annoyed. And he's a very nice guy, so he doesn't seem like outwardly that he was a bit annoyed, but he was a bit annoyed, I think, about this, because he went and decided to actually look at how they came to this conclusion that his claim was misleading. The AFP is verifiably wrong. It based its finding almost entirely on an interview with a retired scientist, Dag Von Graven. I actually, I'm my next kid, if I have one, named Dag. There's no question about it. That's a solid name. Dag Von Graven. He, he accepts that I reference the correct findings 
Again, listen to that sentence. He accepts that I referenced the correct findings, but claims that because of scientists' limited uh, ability to track animals back then, the 1960s data are guesswork and they can't be trusted. The implication is that the rise in the estimated number of polar bears reflects improved tracking, not real population growth. And this does happen. It's something that's somewhat common in the field of global warming research, where they talk about how, for example, tornadoes have increased significantly, but don't tell you that they couldn't really spot a lot of the tornadoes back in 1880. If you look at the big tornadoes, what you see is actually a decrease over this time uh, because no one really missed the F4 and F5 tornadoes. They were big enough to kind of make a stir at the time. The smaller tornadoes, a lot of them went missed, and so we don't have real reliable numbers going back to 1880. But if you look at the larger ones, you see the trend clearly. So this does happen. It's not a completely bizarre, bonkers point. However, in this case, it kind of is. Even if you throw out all the 20th century data, the polar bear specialist group in its latest 2021 report documents that polar bear numbers have increased over the past two decades. AFP simply ignores this and instead emphasizes the est- that estimates are difficult. Well, they are difficult, but they're not that difficult now. We're not having a problem in two th- the year 2000 measuring how many polar bears are. You might miss by a couple. Maybe a couple are, I don't know, they went out on a date. They're back at the uh, polar bear apartment. They're hooking up in the back room. I don't know what's going on. These polar bears are doing some weird crap out there. You saw that one swimming. I don't know why he didn't go to the nearby iceberg in the cartoon. I'm not sure exactly. But let me just give you the data. This goes back to 1981 here. You can see the increase from about 23,000 to 27,000. And if you go back to 1993, if you'd rather measure from that period, once again, you see a slight increase from 25,000 to 27,000. And, you know, if you go back a decade, you're going from about 22,000 to 27,000. Again, these numbers come up and down a slight amount. But the bottom line is no matter what period, you measure from. We are at an all-time high since the 1960s. Kind of a big deal, right? Like, the whole narrative is built on these things are going extinct, and we have now a 60-year track record of the opposite happening. At what point does this claim die? And not only is it not dying, the people who are pointing out the accurate facts are getting fact-checked and probably penalized through algorithms. Now, you might say, well, why are there more? Polar bears. It's a good, a good question. It doesn't mean that warmer temperatures. We've had some uh, warming over the years. It doesn't mean that warmer temperatures are leading to an explosion of uh, polar bear sex. I mean, maybe it is. Again, those these parties and the apartments. I don't know what goes on there. You know, I, I don't. I don't. It seems a little foreign to me. But maybe they're just hooking up, and it's just a really fun time. But another possible uh, reason for this is we don't shoot as many of them anymore. And you think that with the giant discussion about global warming and what would happen to polar bears, you know, over, let's say, a, uh, a tenth of a degree or a half of a degree Celsius spread out over 50 years, maybe the bigger question should be, are we like shooting them all the time? Here's the chart that shows how many we shoot. You see, back in the 60s, we were shooting a lot of them, about 16, 15, 1600 a year. That number has come down to about 700 as, you know, some of the native tribes there have gone away from shooting uh, polar bears. Some laws have been passed. Some restrictions have been passed on how many you can shoot and hunt. And again, like taking the conversation about whether hunting is something that you want to do with polar bears, like 
quite obviously, this is a much more important factor as to the polar bear population than global warming. But we get all the attention on the global warming part of it. As uh, Bjorn Lomborg writes, the result is that public is denied. Uh, excuse me. Uh, there we go. Even today, some 700 polar bears are killed by hunters each year. If we want to help polar bears, why not stop shooting them? It's a deep point, and I don't know if you can fully. I don't know if anyone in the media can possibly pick up the nuance there. It's really, really subtle, but it's there. Uh, Bjorn Lomborg goes on, and I think this is an important piece of this because it's bigger than just polar bears. And polar bears are one little thing. But we see this happening all the time. We used to do a segment uh, regularly. Maybe we should bring it back. Just going through some of these fact-check organizations and showing how they fact-check, how they have bias in their fact-checks, and how they use fact-checks as a weapon against people they don't like. They go after people on the right. They ignore people on the left. When, when someone makes a correct point on the right, they typically ignore that. When someone screws up on the left, they typically ignore it and vice versa. And this is a problem. This is a problem because we're giving th- th- these fact checkers so much power. We, we talked about AI a decent amount this week. And what goes into the AI is really important because what comes out on the other side can be biased. It can be a massive problem. It can be the type of thing that screws up people's livelihoods, lives, and give the average American a totally, uh, uh, you know, a a bizarre picture about what reality is. I mean, if you went right now, this would be something I would love to see somebody do. And just ask, hey, over the past 20 years, um, you know, global warming, how's the uh, polar bear population doing? Is it increasing or decreasing? There's absolutely no question that I would say 90% of people would say it is decreasing when the opposite is actually true. And when you have a situation like that, you realize that your information delivery structure is really screwed up. If you're a journalist out there, you should be looking for facts like this to promote, to make people have a better understanding. You can even include, hey, we don't know what's going to happen with the polar bears in the future. If things you know, come out of control, like some of these worst case scenarios, maybe polar bears will be affected. But so far, there has been no negative effect. And in fact, it's actually improved the situation. And that's why the fact checker is such an important thing to focus on here, because People just give authority to these randos at PolitiFact or wherever else. They come up with their rulings and that becomes law. Well, we saw how that worked through COVID. Not all that well. Relying on the data I referenced used to be uncontroversial, says Lomborg. When a CNN science journalist did an investigation similar to AFP's in 2008, he spoke to numerous scientists and they agreed that polar bear populations have in all likelihood increased in the past several decades. When polar bears in 2008 were listed as a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act, the decision noted that the population has grown. Again, this is not Bjorn Lomborg saying this. This is the actual legislation about the Endangered Species Act and polar bears. The population has grown from a low of about 12,000 in the late 60s to a current worldwide estimate of 20 to 25,000. The data here haven't changed, only the media's willingness to disregard annoying facts. The result is that the public is denied access to accurate data and open debate about these very important topics. Ridiculous points on one side are left standing, while so-called fact-checking censors inconvenient truths. If we're going to make good climate policy, voters need a full picture of the facts. He's right, of course, on this, but it's really just a small slice of the picture. 
Yes, we need it for climate policy, but we also need it for, I don't know, everything else. No one seems to know anything anymore. No one seems to have any awareness about what is reality anymore. And a lot of this goes to these false ideas being codified by fact checkers and social media. And that cycle just continues and continues, continues. And if you think it's bad now, wait for AI to really get going. This is a massive problem and it's something that we really do need to correct. And I would say one way you can help correct it is put I'm not saying the craziest conservative out there, some wild guy who believes in low taxes or, I don't know, something crazy like that. Maybe they're pro-life. You don't have to go that far. But how about someone who's, I don't know, moderately familiar with conservative arguments on these things, making them part of the package, making it so they can look at at a claim and you can have a, a diversity of ideas and then just just recommendations. That's all you need. Hey, some other people say this. Click here if you want to. Twitter's been doing that lately with Elon Musk, and it's, it's actually been a helpful feature. Sometimes I see claims on there from the left and the right that I see additional context from those little fact checks, and it's helpful. Doing this to help people is one thing. Doing it with a deep and obvious agenda is quite another. Do you know that 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company? And it's owned by our good friends, the Chinese. Also, they own TikTok. Just pointing that out. And their uh, hogs are giving something called, I don't know, ractopamine. I don't know what that is. It's been banned in like 160 countries, including China. But you'll find it in your grocery aisle every day. If you would like to avoid such things, there is a better way. Let me tell you about Moink Box. Now, Moink, if you're like, what the heck, what does Moink mean? It's moo plus oink, Moink. There you go. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes and chicken breasts and pork chops and salmon and so much more, and you can cancel it at any time. Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary called Monk's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted, and Ring doorbell founder Jamie Siminoff jumped in at the uh, chance to invest in Moink. Keep America farming by going and signing up at moinkbox.com right now. Moinkbox.com slash stew. Right now, you'll get, um, you'll get free bacon in your first box. We talked about the bacon. If you like bacon, you get free bacon in your first box. It's the best bacon you'll ever taste. Plus, for a limited time, uh, you'll get all sorts of wonderful, delicious meals for your family. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K. Moinkbox.com slash stew. It's moinkbox.com slash stew. The very first enslaved Africans were brought here over 400 years ago. Since then, no part of America's story has been untouched by the legacy of slavery. This is the 1619 Project. You are calling for reparations. What is the total that would be owed? $14 trillion. That's a big number. Yeah. Big debt, though. It is a big debt. The 1619 Project. It's not a history. It really is talking about America today. Black Americans' contributions are undeniable. No people had a greater claim to the American flag than we do. I'm sorry, what was it, 14 trillion? 
That's all this is going to take is just the $14 trillion. Oh, I'm so relieved. Uh, I want to bring in Ryan Bomberger. He's the co-founder and CCO of the Radiance Foundation and author of a new article for the Christian Post, which you got to read. Hulu's The 1619 Project, a racist crockumentary. Head over to my Twitter page for a link to read it. Ryan, how's it going? It's going great, and I can't believe we live in such a surreal culture right now. It really it's is ridiculous. Crazy. I have to say, I don't know if I like crockumentary better or sloppumentary. <laughs> you use both of them, right. which are both fantastic. Can you kind of give me some, give me your impressions of this thing? Because you know, you watch that trailer, and you can tell they spent some real money making this. You know, making this look really good. This was not a, a one-off, uh, easy project for them. They invested in this thing. Right. Well, they had Oprah dollars behind it and Lionsgate um, money behind it. And so when it airs on Disney Hulu, um, they've got a lot of power behind it. And the sad thing is you've got Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is has been overly lavished with awards and praise from the field of journalism for fiction. And that's what this is. And so you've got a documentary here that's filled with so much fiction. It's unbelievable. Yet they're the ones who are saying, hey, you're not teaching history in our public schools. You're not t- teaching history in our colleges. Here's history. But yet it's just a work of fiction or a, as I like to say, it's just a racist crockumentary. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Uh, you know, it's the, the focus on race is so important. We're going to get to that here in a second. You, you mentioned and, and for those listening on podcasts in particular, you me- mentioned in your piece you are of mixed lineage, white and black. And that's the same thing as Nicole Uh, Hannah Jones, though you wouldn't know that by watching the documentary because she doesn't seem to acknowledge her white mother at all. No. In fact, I guess she she came into existence only via her father. So the first episode only focuses on her dad, never mentions the fact that she has a white mother. But that's all part of this whole thing about setting up your credentials as a truly black person. Everything is black, 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 black. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, you've got great you know, historical figures like Frederick Douglass, who is both white and black as well. And what he spent his life doing is reconciling things. And unfortunately, Nicole Hannah-Jones is spending her life just creating all kinds of divisions. It's just part of critical theory, critical race theory, and this anti-racism bogus movement that elevates color above everything else. Yeah, yeah, it's really sad. I mean, because I think, you know, we've come a long way, obviously, from, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. And you know, I think we were on a really good path there for a while where we were, people were coming together <laughs> and they were, they were forgetting about these differences. They're just unimportant. Skin color, immutable characteristics are not an important part of the American story. Uh, you know, of course, we tell the history of, 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 of everyone, but, you know, it's about American history. And this has not only been an obvious effort to just prog- uh, you know, pr- push progressive policies, but also is just filled with lies that have been fact-checked not only by the right, but also even mainstream historians. Oh, absolutely. And that's why, you know, you have a group of historians who wrote a letter to The New York Times and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here are all the things that are just so wrong about this. But yet The New York Times kept going with this. Of course, that's where the 1619 Project originated. And they had no intentions of actually correcting it or fact checking themselves, which is kind of what mainstream media doesn't ever do. (laughs) They don't fact check themselves, um, you know, because facts are so inconvenient. But the 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 consequence of this is you have a lot of students, particularly in public schools, middle schools and high schools, who are being presented with the substance of the 1619 Project as fact. 
And, you know, I just watched the first episode and even just within that first episode, there are so many lies to dismantle. I had to pick a few because you can only write an article so long, you know, there's a limitation there. But the, the reality is they have no regard for the facts, no regard for reality. But it's it's this division that is the resultant of this. And that's what breaks my heart coming from a family of 15 where we're white, black, Native American, Vietnamese, mixed. <laughs> my heart is for reconciliation. Yeah, you know, I think that division is really what's so disturbing about this. I, you know, I'm, my, uh, my, my daughter was at camp, I think this is this last year, and she had, um, she had a friend she was talking about, and she was saying that she thought it was the first boy who had a crush on her. And she told me all about this kid for a whole week. You know, all these details, what is his hair color, uh, what, the jokes he made, how, you know, all of this stuff. And when I picked her up on Friday, I realized that he was African-American. He was black. And she never at any time mentioned that during all of her descriptions because it wasn't at all important to who he was. Um, And I just I find that we've totally lost that. What is this doing to the black community who's trying to, I think, for a long time, was trying to reconcile this and, 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 you know, we all want to just kind of become one America. And I feel like that's just being blown up in our faces right now. Right. Well, they don't want one America, particularly these these leftists who want to continue to divide. They want to continue to fixate and live in the past instead of moving forward in our present toward a harmonious future. And they always talk about they have to talk about the past because when they talk about the present, you know, when I spoke at the University of Louisville once, I had a bunch of students said, well, racism is so overt. It's so it's so it's it's so prevalent. I'm like, wait a minute. It's so prevalent here in the 2020s. How is it so prevalent? It was codified, you know, in the 60s. They don't want to acknowledge that anything has changed. And so that allows them to fixate on the past and never. I mean, there's, forgiveness is never part of this thing. Reconciliation is never part of this thing. It's about elevating color above all else. And I'm all about Christ before color. And so and character matters. Now it's the movement is all about, well, color is everything. And character means nothing. Yeah, that just seems like a really unhealthy pursuit. Um, you you mentioned that it's a, about uh, color and, and all these different factors. Another big part of this documentary, though, is politics, right? They right. are specifically highlighting many Republicans in the documentary that have done wonderful things uh, to, to bring people together, going all the way back to Abraham uh, Lincoln, but they don't tend to bring up the fact that they were Republicans. I mean, this is obviously intentional. Right. And they're called radical Republicans for a reason, because they wanted to abolish slavery. That's why the Republican Party came into existence. But yet in that documentary, they want to pretend that the Democrats were the party of civil rights. The Democrats were the party of slavery, the party of Jim Crow, the party of the KKK, the party of poll taxes and literacy tests. And they just gloss over that. In fact, they intentionally don't even mention Democrats. What they constantly do is talk about white men and white mobs of people. What they don't tell you is that those white mobs of people were Democrats. So all the voter suppression, all the violence was carried out by white Democrats. Mm. But they don't like that because they want Democrats to pretend that they're the party of Abraham Lincoln, which, yeah. of course, they're not. You know, and it's an amazing thing because obviously, like, you know, anyone who's looked at this stuff knows these things. And, you know, the Democratic pitch of today, if you try to drill down to it, is that we've changed and Republicans have changed and we've just reversed. And they go through that whole sort of BS uh, timeline. <laughs> but like. The fact that this is a New York Times documentary, the Oprah money behind it, Disney money behind it, Hulu money behind it, and they don't even give you an attempt 
at that argument. They don't even try to explain it away. They just specifically hide these things from the audience, assuming they're too stupid to know them. And I got to say, they're probably right with the audience that's watching this thing. Well, it's true. I mean, but look at what public schools have done. Public schools have dumbed down history by introducing all this woke ideology instead of actually talking about the facts. So you have a populace that just doesn't know. You got mainstream media that constantly repeats all these lies about the Republican Party being the party of slavery. I'm like, no, that was the party of abolition. And so it's not surprising that their audience is even more confused. But that's the whole goal. And it's all about control. You control people's thoughts, you control their speech, and you control their narratives. And that's the shame of this, because this is not an upward trajectory for anyone who watches and believes any of the 1619 crockumentary. Mm. Um, I, I want to ask you how we get out of this, but I think your T-shirt sort of answers <laughs> the question here, right? Oh, yeah. uh, which says more, uh, less activism, more factivism. Where, yes, first of all, where can people get the shirt? They can go to radiance.life. That's where we have the shirts. We have the videos. We have the op-eds. We have the creative stuff that's fearless, factual and freeing. Explain what factivism is. Well, we have to differentiate ourselves from activists. Activists typically you know, work out of emotions, but emotions don't set us free. The truth sets us free. And so factivists actually have to know the context to issues. And when you have context, you have clarity. And when you have clarity, you can act responsibly. And what we see are the disastrous consequences when people simply act on emotions. Hello, the summer of BLM and Antifa. Perfect example of activism versus factivism. Mm. I wish I had more time. We should, we get, I want to get it to your piece another time, maybe. I don't need you, Joe Biden, to rescue me, which is great as well. We're going to tweet out links to all this stuff and uh, make sure that you get this. Get the T-shirt as well. Ryan's doing some great work. Ryan Bomberger, he's this co-founder and CCO of the Radiance Foundation, author of Hulu's The 1619 Project, a racist crockumentary or a sloppumentary, whichever one you want. It's over at the Christian Post. Make sure to check it out. Ryan, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Thanks, Stu. We have a new low for Joe Biden, which is one of those things that happens so often we made a song about it. There's always a new low out there for Jolton Joe Biden. This one comes from the Associated Press, the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, a new poll. Now, in recent months, approval of Joe Biden has been hovering above 40 percent. And you'd think, wow, that's really good. Above 40. What a miracle. Unfortunately, it's now dropped 45 percent in February down to 38% approval rating nationwide. That's not just Republicans. It's not even just independents. It's everybody. 45 down to 38%. Now, if you think that's bad, you should know about what they think about his, his handling of the economy, which is actually even worse. Only 31% approve of Biden's stewardship of the national economy. And you might say, okay, well, that's, you know, that's everybody. Republicans are hate mongers. What about Democrats? How are they feeling? Not not so so great. Uh, only 76% of whom uh, Democrats say they approve of how Joe Biden is handling his job as president. Only 63% approve of his handling of the economy. Now, you might say those numbers aren't that bad, but you have to put it in per perspective. And I think Richard Nixon got impeached with Republicans approving him at 
Like, you should not be dropping this many people from your own party. How about younger people? People under the age of 45, just 54% approve of the Biden's economic leadership. Um, I mean, when you're just over half of your own core, I mean, you'd think younger Democrat voters, that is the core of Joe Biden's support. Well, he's really, really doing a terrible job, not just for you, but for everybody. It's just another example and another journey into Biden's new low. Hey, Joe, new low. Hey, Joe, new low. Hey, Joe, new low. Please go! Blaze TV. It's a news and entertainment place, establishment, gathering, club. Yes, it's a bunch of people who love America. No matter what age you are, there's something here for you. You'll get all the news of the day, but you'll also get so much more from opinion to spirituality, from observations on world events to outright comedy. There truly is something for everyone here, and I hope you uh, are a Blaze subscriber. If not, uh, you need to pick that up. All you gotta do is pick the plan that fits you best and then watch live, on demand, whatever you want, anywhere, anytime, we got it all. If you're a student uh, or a member of the military or a first responder, uh, well, don't forget to include that when you subscribe. You'll get 30 bucks off your annual pass. The left, they'll win their cultural battles here and there, but Blaze TV is out to win the culture war, and that depends on you. So sign up today and get all the entertainment and enlightenment you have been missing. Join Blaze TV today and get 30 bucks off an annual pass with our student, military, or first responder discount. If you're a second responder, screw you. You're too late to all the tragedies. You get nothing. Just go to subscribe.blazetv.com, click the verification button, and enter your ID to get started. It's 30 bucks off an annual pass for students, military, and first responders, and nothing for second responders. Subscribe.blazetv.com, subscribe.blazetv.com. It's time for part 23 of our ongoing series on Women's History Month, and today we're going to tell you about Tiffany Thomas. Uh, Tiffany is a scientist by day and an athlete by night. Her favorite organ are the blood cells. Huh. Uh, you will never see anyone with a bigger smile than when she uh, sees a beautiful electron microscopy picture of a red cell. She's never met a barbell, a bike, or a dog that she doesn't like. She is so incredibly excited to race and represent the L.A. Sweat Team this year. Uh, she's won 16 times in her career, which is an incredible amount as a cyclist. Um, and uh, she won, uh, actually, uh, this past weekend, for the first time this year, social media posts from NYC Cycling News showed Tiffany Thomas standing in between two biological females as a first-place winner of Randall's Island's Criteriums on Sunday. Uh, she, of course, is a man. So, happy Women's History Month to Tiffany Thomas, who beat the crap out of the, the, the lower-quality women in the race. Dominated. And this is important for you to understand. Men are better at being women than women. And uh, in almost every context, some contexts, maybe not as much, but in, in many of them, much, much better. And of course, you know, this will now be highlighted as a hate segment for, for giving an award, an award to Tiffany Thomas, who we're saying is one of the best women, much better than biological women. She's one of the best women out there. She slaughters all of her regular woman competition. And that's hate. And you've heard a lot about transgender hate over the past 
uh, year or two, haven't you? It's been dominating the news coverage. Have you heard that much about anti-Semitism? Maybe not that much. We haven't really been seeing a lot of headlines, but shockingly, anti-Semitic incidents hit a record in 2022. Here's the chart. I mean, it used to be down around 1,000 back in 2012, and it's been rising and rising and rising and has now tripled in a decade from about 1,000, maybe almost quadrupled, about 900 to about 3,600 anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. And gosh, we haven't seen much, if any, coverage on that. Why? It's kind of kind of weird. We hear a lot about white supremacist attacks, and I guess there could be some of those in the anti-Semitic attacks as well. Certainly eh, white supremacists and the anti-Semites run in similar circles sometimes. But we've seen a lot of you know pictures of people with like uh, tiki torches walking around Charlottesville, but we never hear about any of this stuff. And the problem is when you look into some of this, sometimes it's not white people who do it. Sometimes it is, and that's bad. Sometimes it's not, and that's also bad. But no one in the media seems to care when the colors aren't right. They don't seem to want to update any of the facts or give you any actual information. So there you go. Now you have some actual information. By the way, the White House is, uh, speaking of misinformation, uh, disbanding its COVID-19 team. Oh, yes, the pandemic is finally over. You may have thought it ended in like mid-2020, maybe even early 2021, but you were way out of touch. It hasn't yet quite ended yet. That's in just a, two months from now, and that COVID-19 task force will go away. And, and all the things that were kind of predicted at the beginning from the weird skeptics that were getting tossed to the side, that eventually this would just be, have to be, become something that we're going to have to live with and still affects our lives but doesn't dominate them, uh, that's sort of happened. So congratulations, White House, for catching up. See you later, COVID-19 task team. This one I'm excited about. Dr. Pepper, strawberries and cream soda. Now, some people don't like the Dr. Pepper. I do, I'm a fan of Dr. Pepper. I like how they are innovative. They come out with new stuff a lot, a lot of different remixes, a lot of different flavors. They're not just sitting on their laurels and saying, hey, this weird combination of cough syrups that we came up with like 100 years ago, let's just keep making that. No, no, they're dumping in all sorts of new flavors uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I love, I love the, the sound. Oh, the smell is quite delicious. It's got that sort of strawberry ice cream smell to it. Let's see, are we ready? Let's try it out. I'm excited about this one. Hmm, <laughs> that's pretty, that's a very interesting uh, flavor combination. Now, you know, if you have like a strawberries and cream soda, remember they used to have cream savers? Remember cream savers? Mm-hmm. I had those cream saver things and, and they were like the hard candies and they had the strawberries and cream vibe. It's a little bit of that sort of flavor to it. Um, and it does, I mean, it's, it, it does a pretty good job of simulating a strawberry ice cream Dr. Pepper type of vibe. Let me try it again. But this is delicious. I like it a lot. Oh yeah, 
This is going to be part of the rotation for a while. Uh, I like uh, I like this a lot. Um, I'm going to be this is going to I'm going to be buying cases of this. It's going to be at the so home soda fridge, the work soda fridge. It's going to be part of the rotation. I'm going to give this uh, an A minus. This is a solid Dr Pepper version. I'm excited that they did it. They shouldn't get rid of it. They do this a lot. They come up with a special flavor for a couple of months. Keep this one in rotation. Keep it going. Uh, now, there is the thing that sometimes I have a case or two of this, of a new soda, especially one that has a different flavor like this, and I get a little tired of it. I could see that happening eventually, but this is a, this is delicious. Question, what did Lisa Page make you do? Uh, there's a lot in that realm, and uh, the, the, the list is, could be a little bit too long to go through, but... Uh, I will say, uh, she does not necessarily encourage any of the stuff I'm doing here, which is why I'm doing it at work. Okay, final one of the day. Stu Eats America. The most Oreo Oreo. This is a limiting tactic by Oreo. They came out with regular Oreos. Then there was double stuff Oreos. There was Thins worked in there. Then I think they did, what was the one? It was, there was another one they came out with that was even more. Uh, I think maybe it was called even more cream Oreo. I don't remember what it was called. And then they came out with the most Oreo Oreo. And I just feel like, look, you can always increase this. Like you could come up with 10 new varieties and each time with just another descriptive added onto it that says it's a little bit more and you could be just rolling in cash forever. Here we go. Um, most Oreo Oreo from Oreo. It is a limited edition. Again, you're limiting yourself. All right, you wanna get the idea of the size. Here we go. Now. I will say this just looks like double, like the double stuff Oreo. They just took two of them and kind of squeezed them together. Doesn't it look like that? Here we go. Most Oreo Oreo right here. Let's give it a shot. Hmm. A lot of cream. I gotta say, it's a lot of cream. I mean, the cookie is completely lost in this amount of cream. When you go this hard on the cream side of things, you've basically abandoned the idea that this is a cookie at all. These 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 dark brown, you know, uh, Oreo things are really just a way to hold the cream. Like it's just a cream delivery device. That's all this is. I mean, you see, it's all coming out the sides. Uh, you can see it's like. It's, it's, it's gone outside the circumference of the actual Oreo. The most Oreo as, as delivered in this product, again, I feel like it's a little bit of a gimmick, right? It's one of those things that like, it's not the way you actually want to eat an Oreo. It's so much cream that it's not really even a cookie. Uh, it overwhelms the cookie. It's, it's too much. Uh, most Oreo is too much Oreo. That's what I think. Uh, so I would uh, give these on my A to F old school grading scale. I'll give these a C. It's just not, I mean, look, I didn't, I, I, I don't make the rules here. Actually, I do make the rules, but if I didn't make the rules, I could say, I don't make the rules here. I'm just at the, I'm trying to, to work within the system. And the system is, look, it, it's a good cookie, but could I eat an entire bag of these? No, it's way too much. You just be, you just, you might as well just take a, a thing of sugar and just pour it into your mouth and swish it around a few times, it's gonna turn into that same cream. Now look, what if I were to take all the remnants of all these Oreos, like this, and make another sandwich out of them, like this? What would you call this product? You wanna have a good name for that? Looks like a catastrophe in motion. Here we go. 
It is a uh, sandwich cookie, it, it's diabetes in sandwich cookie form. Okay. Bye, bye, bye.